Okay, uh, so I got to tell you guys a story. <laughs> so I made friends with some Ticos, and they're great. People here are super chill. And there's definitely a language barrier, so we get by with, like, a lot of Spanglish, right? And one of them, <laughs> I was leaving, and he called me um, Princesa. <laughs> And I ha- I literally started busting out laughing, and all I could think oh, about is the under- underwear I had to buy. That said- <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And I was oh, so man. embarrassed, and I was like, I can't even begin to explain why I'm laughing. Why you're laughing? You're such a nice human. I'm so sorry, but all I can see is this hot pink underwear I had to buy out of desperation in Capos when I had no clothes. Oh my god! Oh fuck! Are you gonna give it to him as like a as a remember me? You're like here you go. I didn't wash it, so. No. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to a, another episode of the Health Unfiltered podcast. My name is Nicole, and I am joined with my two wonderful co hosts, Ro and Brooke. Say hello, everybody. Hey. What's up? <laughs> Ro is having some technical difficulties. Um, Am I? <laughs> I mean, on our end, you are. You're you're black and white, and I, I can barely hear you, but I'm yeah. sure the fans can hear yeah. you just fine. <laughs> this sucks. I don't know what's going on with that. We'll we'll work through it. It's fine. Maybe it's just like it's just like your computer's like we're done. You've taken yeah, me through twenty yeah. years of school, and I am uh, retiring. Yeah, that, that's that's fair. It's like, hey, remember you're sad. Have a gray screen. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. like I was at first. I was like, did he put a filter on? Like, is this to represent how he's feeling? Always. That's what I because the, the Tokyo filter. I can understand. I can understand. No, we're happy. Mm. We're happy. Well, Ro, are, are you drinking? I wasn't able to be on the last podcast because I was sick. But um, as always, I know you were kind of carrying the the group there <laughs> with a with a drink. I am. Yeah, it's funny. My dad. My dad called me uh, a couple of days ago to catch up, and he was like, "You know, I listened to the podcast, and your friends are all like, I'm having seltzers and teas and stuff, and I think you're an alcoholic." And I was like, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> It's, it's just work, you know, like I don't drink that much. And he's like, no, I mean, they take breaks, but you don't. And I was just like, well, you know, it's somebody's got to do it. But um, so shout out to dad. Uh, I'm not an alcoholic, but I do like the occasional <laughs> beer. Um, this is uh, I actually got one of these from <clears throat> Casey's subscription service. Uh, one of the ones I texted you about, Nicole. It's mm-hmm. from Yazoo, which is uh, based out of Nashville. And mm-hmm. it's their pale ale. Super good. Uh, I like the the rich textures and all that stuff. But um, yeah, I had it yesterday and I was like, oh, yeah, this is the one that's that's going on the podcast. So it's it's dark, it's nice, and it's crisp. So I will be a happy camper. Also, it's 3.30 here, so definitely late enough for me to, to have a beer without You're feeling not, any shame. You're um, not, I guess, <laughs> what's it called? Adding to your case for your death. It's 3.30. <laughs> I'm drinking. I'm like, that's late enough, I also you know? had it yesterday. <laughs> Rose carrying the brand. <clears throat> it's a treacherous it really time I, in my I life. I like we didn't you know? think that through. You know, uh, me and Brooke were still on the cusp of being young when we branded. <laughs> and then now we're like. Aren't you younger than me? I feel like I'm the no, second No, you're the youngest. One. We've been oh. over this. 
Are you going to be 30 this year then? Same. Yes. Oh, so old. <laughs> I turned 32 on Sunday. Holy man. It's <laughs> gross. Bro's still going to be on this podcast and he's going to be like 45 and he's still going to be talking about how 35 year olds are old. Yeah, I'm going to be like, you guys are disgusting. I'm decrepit <laughs> at 45. Mm. But yeah, what are you guys drinking? If anything. I'm drinking some youth berry tea. Oh my God. There you go, dad. Shout With out dad. some collagen. <laughs> Sweet. You know. Fuck me. Hashtag health, baby. <laughs> yeah. Man, I just I'm don't just get it. If I was if I was broken, oh I was God. on an island. On, I y'all? would just be drinking all the time. You know. <laughs> Silly. You just wait till those hangovers come come after you. Oh my God! I drank on Sunday, and by like in maybe it was Saturday. I don't know. And like six hours later, I was hungover. I was like, "What is this?" Normally, you know, like the day of, I'm like, "Yeah, I just don't feel that great anymore." Some bullshit. Mm. I haven't really drank since Christmas, and it's to the point where when I start drinking, I'll be like halfway through a drink and I feel hungover, and I'm like, Mm-mm, "We're not doing this. We're not Mm-mm, not happening." So oh, I'm actually I'm drinking a delicious drink, but it's like a kombucha with CBD. Oh Yum. wow! Nothing wow. alcoholic, but you know I'm getting in my cannabidiol. They have Made a in Costa Rica like kombucha spiked culture. kombucha. Have you ever tried that before? Spiked. Kombucha? I have, and I don't like it. It was like too malty. Mm, I'll have to drink. I don't some like of malt that. flavored things. It gives me PTSD from when I was underage drinking. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that's that's fair. Same reason I don't drink Everclear anymore. You know, <laughs> teen drinking is very bad. Yeah, we don't we don't. What is it? Condone? I do it? not condone. I'm do not do. Like, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> We're bad people. Uh, <laughs> I don't do that. Mom and Dad, I didn't have my first drink till I was twenty five. So it was crazy. <laughs> crazy never threw a house party never disobeyed the rules (laughs) although i i never threw a house party that was always something i was terrified of i was like there's no way my parents would fucking kick me out of the house so i was like i'll let my friends do that and then i'll go no i think so i've definitely heard many a story yeah i was like which one (laughs) so i never really threw house parties either because my parents like i really think did not trust me out of their sight when i was in my teenage years and a troublemaker (laughs) And they left for something, and I was at the house because I was working, and my older stepbrother and I, sorry, we're out out, dude, not that our parents listen, but um, (laughs) we threw a party at the house, and our friends came over, and, like, I was cleaning up, everything was spotless, it was, like, too clean, and that was their clue that something had happened, (laughs) like, it was just, like, a little suspicious, and then of all the things someone freaking put a jaeger bottle in the ice maker and they thought the ice maker was broken and that was the giveaway that was when they were like i knew it i was so smart i even drove the trash bags up to the community pool dumpster oh and yeah dumped the trash there like i was like i'm a freaking rock star no no i was not <laughs> there's always someone else that's fucking up your shit man <laughs> uh unfortunate sam well, now, you know, we are educating people on all the ways that they can be healthy and do better than we did. So Hopefully, yeah, yeah hopefully you just get some comic relief and understand why now I try to be healthy. 
Yeah. yeah. Just a lot like, of there was so much damage in the past. <laughs> sure. And now we have to, we have to do better. But... It always comes back. It always comes back. Mm-hmm. That's true. But Rose's still over there practicing balance. He's not an alcoholic. It's okay. <laughs> no, I, it is balanced. It is balanced. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, we have a question of the week. And the question is, are burpees a good exercise? And I just want to say no. (laughs) I know, right? First of all, if you like burpees, you're like, no, no, these are good. Then you're like a psycho or a a killer, you know? Um, I think, you know, (laughs) I'm not like any sort of purist. I think you can all exercises can be good or bad for something, right? Like obviously if you're like, oh, I'm going to try and get my legs stronger, is a bench a good exercise? Like no, right? Um, But I don't really see any reason why burpees would be good, uh, especially because people just do them to the point where they're just like falling onto the ground, slowly stepping up. And it's like at that point, what are you doing other than just like work, you know, like Mm -hmm. just go on a walk or something. Um, if you're not used to them, you know, you're like, oh, I'm going to start. This thing says 50 burpees. It can be like pretty detrimental on your joints because you're just like slamming your wrists, your shoulders, your elbows, your knees. Um, and like when you look at the, the and I'm air quoting functionality because <clears throat> I do think every exercise is functional. Um, it's like, when are you ever going to be doing that movement? Never. Like even in people in the army when they talk about like basic training and how you just did burpees until you died like how how often are you doing that like there's no like practicality Mm -hmm. behind it so are they like a good exercise are they going to get your heart rate up sure are they going to burn calories sure but there's about 900 other exercises you can do to do that so if someone is like no you have to do them they're the best for some reason stop talking to them get better friends (laughs) Uh, and just know that, yeah, there's nothing special about burpees and they, they suck. So there's yeah. my easy answer. I love how you mentioned like it being relatable to life yeah. because I think so much of the time we think that exercise is something we should do in order to look a certain way. And it's like, no, it's actually something we should do because it relates so much to our life. When you go to sit on the toilet, that's a squat. When you go to like bend over, that's a hinge. When you go to pick something up, like that's representing like a deadlift or whatever. And so I love how it translates into life and how we can just be safe in the way we move and function in our day to day and not just, Go do a hundred burpees because it's gonna help you get yeah. a juicy booty. Yeah. What? Also, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do something else for sure. Awesome. Yeah, fuck burpees. Well, today we are going to be talking about type two diabetes and exercise. Specifically, we'll talk about what type two diabetes is, how it comes to be, and why there seems to be a rise in the world slash the United States. Then we'll talk about the role exercise has on mitigating type 2 diabetes and its effects. This will be a science-heavy podcast. That's why our beloved (laughs) Ro is leading it. (laughs) Um, That will hopefully bring light to um, what we can, how we can fight off type 2 diabetes and or help help ourselves if we do have type 2 diabetes. Yeah. So I'm excited. (laughs) It's definitely, I think like Brooke mentioned in her stories today, 
this isn't really our specialty as dietitians. We haven't done everything to like, we know the basics of type two, type two diabetes and how we can support it through nutrition and exercise. But it's not something that we read up on every single day or know every single thing about. So I think this is a really good conversation because like you said, it definitely impacts a lot of people throughout the world. For sure. Yeah. So Ro, tell us first, what is type 2 diabetes and how is it different from type 1 diabetes? Yeah. So, you know, people will be like, I got the betis and it's like... (laughs) A joke but also it's not right like diabetes is a it's a pretty terrible like disease condition whatever you want to call it. i think it's a disease um and so type 1 diabetes is generally uh diagnosed when you're a kid or a newborn because it's an autoimmune response against insulin producing beta cells um and so really all this is is that your body is not able to create insulin And so it has to be treated with sticking yourself with insulin. Um, And that's the main thing, right? Uh, The main point with type 1 diabetes is you can't produce insulin. With type 2 diabetes, this is related to like increased weight, getting older, leading to inactivity um, and genetics, right? If your parents have or had type 2 diabetes, there's a strong chance that you are now more, uh, you know, you have a higher chance of predisposed is what I was trying to think of. You have a higher chance of of getting type 2 diabetes. But essentially is you can make insulin, but you are insulin resistance, uh, resistant. So some hallmarks uh, of type 2 diabetes in, include decreased insulin stimulated glucose uptake. Oh, all right. There goes a truck. Uh, so really, you can't uh, uptake blood sugars as well as someone who doesn't have it. Um, you have less uh, glucose production in your liver and you have a reduced ability of insulin to help break down like fat in uh, fatty tissue. So this definitely comes not from uh, an autoimmune disease, but really the choices in lifestyle and diet that we're making for like long periods of time. Mm-hmm. So insulin was mentioned in both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Um, Tell us a little bit more about what insulin is. Yeah, Uh, I definitely should have prefaced this before I entered it before. Uh, There is a lot to type 2 diabetes. It's like there's so much money that's being pumped into the research because, you know, a lot of people are afflicted by it, but like there's a lot of uh, questions out there still. And so... Obviously, what I'm saying is based on uh, research that I've read um, that I can put in the, the the show notes if you want to read those. Um, but there's like, this is not the end all be all podcast on that. There's like way more out there than than I know. Um, but insulin uh, is a hormone. It's a primary regulator of kind of how we um, oxidize substrates. So it's going to regulate fat carbohydrate and protein uh, metabolism. And so when you eat something, right, your blood sugar gets elevated. And so what insulin does is it works to store the excess calories as fat uh, in fat tissue and transport glucose, so the blood sugars, into the muscle tissue. Um, It also sends a signal to the mitochondria to say like, hey, we have carbohydrates in our system. Let's use that as our main substrate because it's readily available. 
when you know a couple hours goes by your blood sugar drops you are like back to a like normal state quote unquote um now insulin is going to say like well we we need to shift to fatty acids being mobilized from stored fat uh into being our main um substrate to be oxidized for energy and so again i'm going to tell the mitochondria hey we have more fats that are stored or that are floating around in the blood let's use that as our main substrate. Um, so in short, it's going to help partition substrates into either being broken down or stored. And so we think about like how important that is, right? Like if I eat something and I'm healthy, my body knows based on the insulin response and a lot of other things, but we're talking about insulin. Um, hey, we're going to use this right now. And when we're done, we're going to store it. And so with things like obesity, metabolic syndrome, like really disease states, uh, we lack that metabolic flexibility, which is our ability to say like insulin's up, okay, let's use glucose, insulin's down, okay, let's, let's use fats. And when we become more obese or have um, metabolic syndrome for longer periods of time or become more inactive, then we become unhealthier, this reduces that flexibility of insulin. Um, and then changes in insulin uh, just become worse. And then your health kind of deteriorates. And then type 2, type 2 diabetes comes through and obesity gets worse and metabolic syndrome gets worse. And it's just this like super vicious cycle. Um, but that's what like insulin is there for, like to regulate whether we use substrate or we're going to store it. Mm-hmm. It's pretty yeah, terrible. It's a very actually. complex system. Oh, without a doubt. And yeah. like you said, like there's a lot that goes into it and how we support and how this season even comes to be. Can you talk a little bit more about how exactly insulin <clears throat> works in the body? Yeah. So this is um I you know, insulin has a lot of things that it does downstream. So we're going to, I'm going to like stay mostly focused on the things that relate to like exercise and, and nutrient metabolism. So um, one of the things that it does and its main thing is to increase glucose uptake from the blood into the muscle. So if we have more muscle, we can store more sugar as glycogen. Uh, and that reminded me one time Casey said she was treating someone and the resident, or I don't know what, like, you're not like a, like a quote unquote real doctor yet, but you're still like learning to become one. I think that's a resident. Yep. Told, resident. told, yeah. Told someone that had diabetes that like, oh, just gain more muscle and you won't have diabetes anymore. And I remember oh, hitting God. up, yeah, I remember hitting up my, my friend who's a doctor and I was like, Hey, what the fuck are they teaching you in med school? And he was like, you know, like, <laughs> I know he's wrong, but like, we got to start somewhere, you know? And, and I think that's fair if, if someone like, <laughs> no, has, this is like, not fair. I think, so I think, I think, I think, I think it's, I think it's a little fair if like you think someone, uh, you know, it's, it's way simplistic for sure. But if someone is like, I'm not going to change my diet. I know I'm unhealthy. Like, where do I start? Yeah, increasing muscle is going to help with type 2 diabetes, but it's not going to cure it right away. And also, you have to make a bunch of different lifestyle changes. Uh, but it's something that I that I laughed about when, when she told me because I was like, man, you're right. Like, doctors are, are doctors. They are not, like, physiologists and nutritionists <laughs> and dietitians because, like, what a shitty way to answer that. But anyway, um, the more muscle you have, for sure, the more 
uh, glucose we can pull into our system and we can store it as glycogen. So when we eat, right, insulin is released. Um, so this is us in a fed state. And when insulin is released, it connects to insulin receptors uh, that lie um, kind of on, on, on the membrane of the, the muscle. Uh, sorry, that, that beer is really good, but it's making me burp. Uh, so when insulin binds to that insulin receptor, uh, this activates insulin receptor substrate one to become phosphorylated. And specifically, it's tyrosine phosphorylated, which doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But when we talk about the things that type 2 diabetes affects and why, it has a lot to do with like the tyrosine phosphorylation. So once that... Uh, insulin connects to the insulin receptor, it activates insulin receptor substrate one, that activates this southern molecule called PI3K. Um, without getting into like super specifics, PI3K causes PIP2, it turns into PIP3, and eventually acts on AKT. So this is all like just metabolism and pathways, right? It doesn't matter for 99% of people. Uh, but this AKT is then going to act on TBC1D1, um, which in short is going to tell GLUT4 to move to the membrane. And so now that we have GLUT4 moving to the membrane, what it's going to do is it's going to pull that sugar from the blood. So all we're talking about is how insulin regulates the pulling of glucose into the muscle um, based on these uh, pathways. Um, and so it, it's specifically done through that GLUT4 um, that is translocated to the membrane. So it's like, I'm chilling. I don't have anything in me right now. But insulin says like, hey, we have food. We have sugar in the bloodstream. We need to pull it into the, to the muscle. GLUT4 is like, awesome. I'll move up, I'll pull it back down. And it's just a bunch of GLUT4s just consistently pulling substrates and uh, glucose um, into the muscle. So, yeah. Really confusing shit. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely remember some of this from school, though. Like, mm -hmm. GLUT4, I definitely remember that piece. The big one. The whole freaking metabolic pathway. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I was like, this is ingrained in my brain forever. Un unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a part of your trauma now. <laughs> it is. I was taking my my uh my written comps and I was like, there was something that I it asked about mTOR and I was like, oh fuck me, because I wasn't I hadn't like really prepped for it, but I, I wrote it down and was like, I'm pretty sure that's right. And when they talked about it, I asked, like, was that right? Like, yeah, like it was it was fine, it was perfect. And I was like, wow. That's how berate like, like that's how beat into my brain it is that I was like I don't think this is right and I was just able to like <laughs> boom there it is. So Ro, what is happening with type two type two diabetes? <clears throat> yeah, this is like I said the the billion dollar question. Um, I think that there was a paper in two thousand twelve. Um, by Capurso that stated like that there's been like an increase in 6% of people that uh, have type 2 diabetes. And it's just, if you think about like health and how different it was 10 years ago, because it's 2022, like we can only assume more people have type 2 diabetes now than they did 10 years ago. Um, and that is like really heavily linked to the amount of people that uh, have obesity or have metabolic syndrome, 
um, because type 2 diabetes um, really comes from like an excess amount of fat and obviously for like long periods of time as well. There's really no other way to like simply explain it. <clears throat> and even then it's like not a simple explanation because there's so many different like little pathways that might affect another thing and this and that. And it's like, okay, let's make it easier to digest for, for people. And like, I'm counting myself as people. Um, it's in excess of the amount of fat that a person holds. And so there's like two reasons um, why increases in fat would damage the insulin pathway or the ability that insulin has to increase glucose uptake. It's an overload of lipids, which is just having excess fat, which causes like lipotoxicity, which means like you are essentially poisoning your body with its own fat by overstoring things in different places. So, you know, like we, we all carry adipose tissue, like fat is, is a necessary component to live. But if you have like large amounts, then it's going to get stored in the muscle more than it should. It's going to get stored around the visceral organs more than it should. It's going to get stored around the heart. And those are places that like aren't meant to have fat. And they found that the increase in like white adipose tissue, which is like normal fat, is different than visceral adipose tissue because that's the visceral adipose tissue is much more like apt to being unhealthy, to releasing um, inflammatories, to not helping with all the good things that fats are needed for. Um, and so that's what like poisoning or lipotoxicity like means when we talk about it in that aspect. Um, so there's that, but then we also have just if we have increases in fat, then we're going to have an increase in inflammation. And those are the two, <clears throat> the two reasons why having excess fat becomes problematic. <clears throat> and they all affect, or they both affect uh, insulin in, in a couple different ways. So with the fat overload or having excess fat, uh, you know, there's so many people you can talk to about why fat accrues on someone, but like, simply put and i know it's like not the it's like not good advice when someone's like how do i lose weight like, oh yeah eat less even like eat less move more right but we have put on excess fat because we have excess calories um and so what happens when we have excess fat is normally when that fat is broken down to be used as fuel uh, it's broken down or it starts as a triglycerol. So it's just a, a molecule that has three components, like not too much to think about. Uh, and it's broken down into diglycerols and other intermediates that go through beta oxidation and do a bunch of stuff that are good for hormones and good for, uh, you know, energy. But when you have an excess, that triglycerol isn't broken down completely. So it stays as a diglycerol. And with an increased amount of diglycerol, they can't go anywhere, right? Like we've already stored enough, we've already used it. So now there's all this excess diglycerol that's going to accumulate inside of muscle cells, liver cells, it'll float around the body, it'll go into visceral fat. Uh, and all of this is going to work to shut down that insulin signaling pathway. So I talked about how insulin helps with GLUT4, helps with glucose uptake. <clears throat> the increase in diglycerols is going to stop that. Um, and that's going to be through blocking that tyrosine phosphorylation that I said was really important. 
So really what's happening is as we bring fat into the membrane, um, they become long chain fatty acid coas, which doesn't matter. It's just fat inside of the membrane. Uh, and that's going to block that tyrosine phosphorylation. That's going to stop IRS1 and then glucose isn't going to be pulled. So right there, we already have, oh, there's less glucose uptake. I'm going to have more blood sugars, right? Just roaming around because I can't pull it in. We also have the free fatty acids and the diglycerols can activate <clears throat> two things called JNK and IKK. Uh, not really too important to know, but they do associate with IRS1 and that blocks the insulin receptor, but also it promotes <clears throat> degradation of that pathway. So it's like, not only are you in the acute setting saying, hey, I'm going to pull less glucose than I would normally. Now, since I'm degrading it because we have like all of this extra fat that's going to decrease the glucose uptake, I'm going to essentially destroy the system. So even if I get better or I lose weight and I don't have as much excess fat, I have less of that pathway. Um, and that is like a, a double whammy because if you don't get better, not only are you decreasing your ability to pull in sugars, but you are destroying that pathway, which makes it even harder to pull in more sugars, which destroys more pathways, which does, you know, so on and so forth. So <clears throat> another time where it's just like a big whammy, you know, um, and then also when we have food, right, our adipocytes, our fat cells, they grow. That's a healthy thing, right? That's how we store fat. Um, but the growing is also a problem when it becomes excess. So the signals to recruit more fat cells, to proliferate, to differentiate into fat cells, um, if we have too much fat, that all gets messed up. So maybe we, <clears throat> maybe we don't recruit as many. Maybe uh, they become dysfunctional even though they're, they're bigger. All of this is going to become limited when we are obese or have metabolic syndrome or have obesity, sorry. <clears throat> and so this again just becomes a problem because now we have dysfunction as well as those fat cells are saying, I'm injured, right? There's something wrong. <clears throat> Let me hike up the inflammatory response. So now this extra injury or extra stress is going to increase our immune response, which is then going to lead to the inflammation, uh, which we'll get to once I have another drink and clear my freaking throat. <laughs> um, yeah, do you have any questions about that before we get into the inflammation stuff? Um, I feel like I am going to play devil's advocate because, duh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, when we're talking about type 2 diabetes and we're talking about the accumulation of fat and basically the size of a person. Mm -hmm. Have you read any research that also talks about why individuals in smaller bodies get type 2 diabetes? And also, is, does it impact individuals differently if they do live in a larger body but have healthy habits such as they are exercising on a regular basis, they are having a balanced diet, are they at risk for developing type 2 diabetes as you've kind of seen in this particular research? Yeah. That makes sense. <clears throat> no, that makes a lot of sense. So I think 
you can still have masked obesity. So even if you are like a smaller body, right? If you have less muscle and you have a higher body fat percentage, even though you look smaller and like someone can look at you and be like, oh, you're skinny, you're the epitome of health, blah, 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 you know, all the things we've talked about when it comes to that, you still have excess fat for your body, right? And then also having less muscle mass means you have less ability to store sugar. You have less ability to pull sugar. So <clears throat> that's definitely, especially if you are inactive, if you are still eating excessively, you know, that's just going to be worse. Now, someone would, would look at that person in a smaller body and be like, oh, there's no way that like, what, you have type 2 diabetes? But it's like, yeah, uh, you're unhealthy. You have unhealthy habits, right? You don't have a lot of the things that are going to help with that insulin response. And on the flip side, one of the things we'll talk to when it comes to like exercise is how it does mitigate type 2 diabetes. Because sure, I mean, we've talked ad nauseum and we should still keep talking about how when we look at someone in a bigger body, we're like, oh, that person's so unhealthy, right? But it's like, yeah, they still exercise. They still sleep probably better than most people. They still take care of themselves, right? So that definitely is going to is going to be better. But there's no way around that if you have like excess fat, though, that your chances for type 2 diabetes are increased. Doesn't mean you're going to get it, especially if you are um, exercising and you are like even just walking, right? Because that's going to cause a contraction and stuff, which we'll get into. Um, that is going to be much better and it's going to help your insulin response. It's going to keep that um, metabolic uh, <clears throat> flexibility more than someone who is like a smaller body, but also has high fat and is not doing anything. Does that answer and that I've question? Like, and I've also encountered that with like people in smaller bodies that have type 2 diabetes and i know that there's a connection between certain medications and other diseases yeah. that will predispose people to for whatever reason kind of flip that switch on for type 2 diabetes as well don't i don't know a ton about this obviously this is not my area of expertise but i do remember that coming up in past experiences and research that i'd read in school for sure yeah and also like if if your parents have type 2 diabetes like and, and you can, you know, you're healthy and everything like there's, I think in that Capruso article, um, either that one or there was a Tobbs 2009 one that talked about how like, if your parents have type two diabetes, and even if you were healthy, you tend to have higher levels of intramuscular triglycerols. So you just tend to have higher levels of fat in your muscle because epigenetics has dictated that you might be more predisposed to type 2 diabetes. But if you're healthy and everything, then, or you're exercising, then you're you're mitigating the sins of your fathers, right? Like, that's how it yeah. goes, unfortunately. I, that's funny. I feel like we need to have a whole podcast about, like, epigenetics, too. So it's I like, okay, lack. yeah, like, you might have this, like, genetic predisposition. So my, like, my grandmother, my father, um, they were both pre-diabetic, and they, you know, kind of change things with lifestyle and diet but like so the light switch in my mind is like the light switch is there right like it's in my yeah. dna that so then i need to be like on it to be like okay well like what am i doing to make sure i don't flip that switch on yeah. and so that's kind of like how i like to think about it in the most simple and non-row smart science way <laughs> no i think i think that's a great way right there's a switch there and like you're doing your best to not switch it on like that's a perfect analogy fuck mm -hmm. yeah 
I'm going to talk yeah. about that. We're like, let's yes. talk about switches, guys. Uh, no, Nicole, I think those are like really great questions. And like, it's not even devil's advocate because it's like, those are questions you should be asking. And mm-hmm. those are like things that we associate <laughs> people with bigger bodies than we do smaller bodies. But like, just because you are skinny or small doesn't mean that you don't have excess fat for your body. And then on the op- opposite side, just because you are bigger doesn't mean that like you aren't healthy or don't have or that and that you will have diabetes um Mm -hmm. but yeah like regardless of how you split it having excess fat in either side of the spectrum um increases your chances of getting type 2 diabetes for sure Mm -hmm. Um, yeah and i think it's just a good conversation to have because i think a lot of the times if you are experienced like if you are a person that lives in a larger body there's this fear around oh like i've done this to myself or i've messed up and there's no way i can be healthy or i i'm definitely going to get type 2 diabetes and there can be a lot of like shame and fear around it and so that could one stall you from you know even trying at all or like going to the doctor or reaching out to a dietitian or reaching out to a personal trainer because then you might fear that you're going to also be judged by that person. And so it's really like creating this space of, hey, we're all trying to figure it out of like how we take care of ourselves well in this world and it looks different for all of us. Um, And like, yes, it's important to know the facts behind like, how type 2 diabetes does develop and that there are many factors on why it does definitely and this is the conversation of like this is one piece of the puzzle of like how we can support it through exercise yeah no definitely and i do feel like we talked about this a lot on the autoimmune side of the you know like last time our last podcast which highly recommend going back and listening if you didn't catch that one but i also want to reiterate the point that like there's a lot of power in this and Mm -hmm. like my dad got his diagnosis and he will never be able to like technically reverse that medical diagnosis but he he like really overhauled like the his eating his drinking alcohol he started being more active and he's now technically his blood sugar and his a1c are within a normal range and like i just think that's super rad and i'm really proud of him and like there's a lot of power and like we do get to have a say, especially with like the habits we choose to engage in. And like, hopefully there's no healthcare providers out there shaming anyone, but like, I know at least I can speak for the three of us. Like we're so excited to help people start that journey that we've literally dedicated for our sure. entire life to it. So I think finding someone you vibe with and then like help, you know, like committing like, Hey, like I'm going to start this journey and see what these healthier habits can do for me. Like, I think there's a lot of power in that. And you can really change, you know, like this pathway of what we think about of the disease of type two diabetes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, <clears throat> so I, I think kind of going, uh, thinking about your, your question about just having like fat in general, Nicole, it's not even definitely having uh, an excess in fat, you know, both in a smaller body and bigger bodies, but it's also not just the size, but fatty tissue fat cells are like they're living breathing cells like any other cell so they 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 work they respond to different signals and when we have 
a lot, then we have an increase in inflammation. And so when you zoom out, like obesity is, is a state of low grade inflammation and obesity, again, whether it's in a smaller body with less muscle mass and just whatever, or a bigger body that you just have, or what looks like to be more fat, you are in a state of low grade inflammation. So again, that, that, that fat cell that has become hypertrophied or has become bigger than what it would like to be, uh, it's saying I'm in stress, I'm injured, like I need to do something to help with, with healing, like we would see with muscle damage, like we would see with being sick. And this leads to the release of uh, inflammatory cytokines. So we've talked uh, a couple of times on different episodes and definitely on with uh, Dr. Hunter Waldman when he came on. Man, that was a while ago. I think that was like before <laughs> 20. Uh, like TNF-alpha, IL-6, IL-1B, they're all these cytokines. And all that you really have to think about them if you don't know what cytokines is like they are what are saying there's an inflammatory response. We need to get healed or something. And so that increase in cytokines also increases the release of MCP1 or CCL2. And all this does is it recruits macrophages. And macrophages are like the, the big hitters in our inflammatory response. So when you are sick, macrophages are increased and they come to phagocytose things. They say like, hey, here's a bacteria. I need to destroy it. We're going to heal. In the context of muscle damage, they do different things in helping like muscle or satellite cells proliferate into muscle cells. But in the context of fat tissue, what they are essentially doing is just making things worse because they are there to heal. And the way the body heals is we set an inflammatory response to kind of help kill everything. And then we set a uh, an anti-inflammatory response to get things back to, to normal. But if we have high levels of fat, we're going to have that increase in those cytokines, TNF-alpha, IL-6. We're going to have an increase in MCP-1. That's going to cause macrophages to come to the fat cells. And now I'm here to help. Well, how do I help? I also release MCP-1 to allow for more macrophages to come. And the more macrophages that come, more MCP-1 is released. And what happens is all these macrophages then start to release more TNF-alpha, release more IL-6, release more IL-IB or IL-1B. And so it's like this terrible feed forward loop where if we keep increasing our, our fat cells, then we're going to keep increasing inflammation. And it's just like your body's ability. It's kind of like have it's, it's lost its checkpoint. It's like, okay, like normally I'll stop after this point. But because I have more and more and more macrophages coming, I'm going to release more and more and more cytokines, and that's going to inhibit our insulin receptors. Um, and so specifically, that TNF-alpha is going to inhibit that tyrosine phosphorylation again of the insulin, insulin receptor and uh, insulin receptor substrate 1. So all this boils down to, again, is that cytokine increase is going to reduce my ability to uptake glucose or sugars from the bloodstream. So now there's less in my muscles, there's more going around in the blood, and since that has nowhere to go, it's going to turn into visceral fat. It's gonna be stored, not turned into, it's gonna be stored as visceral fat. It's gonna be stored as fat around the heart. It's gonna be stored uh, as fat in the, the muscles in a different way, and, just like when we talked about JNK and IKK earlier, 
TNF-alpha also destroys that pathway over time. So again, we're just like consistently just messing ourselves up over time if we aren't like healing by either increasing muscle mass or decreasing um, excess fat. So not only do we have just the sheer increase in volume and fat, but we also have the inflammation that comes from those cells being very alive and those cells saying, hey, I'm in trouble. I'm under stress. Let me increase this inflammatory response. And then it just doesn't stay in check. And so over time, you just have higher and higher increases of um, of inflammatories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just when we talk about our bodies, they're very intricate and special, just living things. For sure, and they yeah. Deserve, like, Every they part need of it, support. yeah. And if, I think, like, I always think about, like, when we think about all these other things in our lives that we take care of, like our cars or our houses or our yards, all of that requires upkeep and support in various ways. And our bodies Mm -hmm. are the exact same way. You know, I think it's, it's very interesting how we can easily just kind of like walk through life and not really think about how special our bodies are and how they do need that really detailed support. And so it's like when we talk about all the ways to support and take care of ourselves, it's not that we ever want someone to like feel bad about it. Right. Yeah. It's just like, we want that awareness to be there. We want that education to be there and we want people to feel supported. Um, because I think a lot of the times we aren't taught how to actually take care of ourselves. And then we end up in a situation where we're like, wow, like, why is everything feel so fucked up right now? Like, why are my hormones the way they are? Why can I like have no energy or can I, why can't I get through that workout or why do I have this chronic pain? And it's not that like that there's anything wrong with experiencing that because we're human. And of course, like we get sick and our bodies need that time to like recover. And we can also have these, these supportive things that, that help us kind of move into that healing state. For sure. You know what I've been thinking about a lot lately? Like, I guess I've been comparing cultures a lot and the way people live life here versus the States. It's so weird to me that it's normal and accepted that you sacrifice everything for your job, for status, Mm -hmm. for money, for other people, for your family. And then the last thing on the list is like taking care of what your body needs and like the self-care part of it. I'm like, it's so backwards. And I know it's hard because we live in a culture that like glorifies like hustle, grind, cash money, driving a Benz. But like, (laughs) it's like (laughs) Bitcoin, you know, like stocks only go up. Yeah. You just got into NFTs. It's weird to chill. think that it wasn't always like this, <laughs> yeah. e- too. I know. know, right? Like throughout human like, time, we created this. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, yeah. we yeah. chose this. <laughs> we, we chose to pay taxes. You know, I got in this world like, yeah. oh, I'm just living, and it's like, all right, now you owe me, you know, thirty percent. And you're like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm sorry. Why don't I just get this shit? Like, I don't know, man. You just gotta do this. Yeah, I had this conversation with a couple different people. Brooke being one of them, of like. Do do people who live in America realize that like other countries don't live like this? Do they realize no, that like this is sure not, not normal? Yeah, no. I mean, you like, just keep reading the history books that we're fed to us or the history we're fed to us, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, this is just the only way it's supposed to be. 
And then you get on the internet and you're like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> like, this is bullshit. Yeah, like, I mean, wow. I remember when I was visiting Europe, it's just like people would take like two hour lunch breaks and it, we would be like, don't y'all have to go back to work? And they're like, no, like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> like, we're allowed to sit and eat and like take more than 30 minutes and not scarf it down at our desk. It's just yeah. it's crazy. Here, like, another thing that I love is, like, things aren't open 24-7. You don't mm-hmm. need a freaking cheeseburger on demand. Okay, bro? Well. Everything here, it's, <laughs> like, I'm, it's like... Rose, like, I'm like in a very fragile state. Cheeseburger on demand. Nine to six, right? Like, they they really, like, value, in like, here in this culture in Central America, their time with their family, with their friends, to go surf, mm-hmm. to go be outside. And they're so happy. And I'm just like, that's it. Like, that's it. Why that's are, another why thing I that I really, yeah, that's another thing I hate is the, the, like, the fact that we think that everything has to be available 24-7. Like, that we have to be at work. Like, especially during, like, the holidays, if we can't even agree that people deserve, like, two days off. Right, yeah. It's just, like, at my opinion, people deserve, like, multiple weeks off at the end of the year. Yeah. But it's so insane. I'm like, what? What is the point? We're just supposed to like work 24-7 and never actually enjoy the life that we have? You're damn right. That's exactly what it's supposed <laughs> to be. Yeah. But this is just getting off on a tangent, you know. Us, but, but I us think it's also holistic hippies. But I think it's also like, you know, yeah. you think about like, yeah, you can, I, it's, you know, I flip between like, look, everyone has the same 24 hours a day and like, yeah, you're a single mom with four kids. Of course you have other priorities. But like, mm-hmm. if there was more focus on take care of yourself. Like don't just grind for 40 hours for these people who or corporations that like do not give a fuck about you, you know, then you could be healthier. We could decrease diabetes. We could de- you know, it all fits in for sure. So like, mm-hmm. yes, it's like a wild tangent we got on, but it's like important to, to realize that like some people while yeah, they have the same 24 hours are constrained by different jobs and different things that are, in their control but also like kind of not depending on Mm -hmm. their situation so um yeah yeah for sure which i think it's interesting to also note that something like type 2 diabetes continues to increase especially in the united states as our culture continues to increase things like working all the time not paying a a livable wage to most people and then not having quality access to things like healthcare and time off and for sure all the different things that help to create a healthy life and environment yeah and there's not a lot of support or community people don't live like that it's very individualistic so if you are a single mom and you don't have like a parent or like an immediate family member and you don't have community support like Man, we we just need to blow it all up and start over. This is not a terrorist threat yeah. to the United States. <laughs> this is not, I am not a terrorist. We do not negotiate with terrorists. Brooke went to Costa Rica and became anti-capitalism, anti-imperialism. She was like, yeah, fuck this, man. You're like, yeah. Oh my I've gosh. been trying to tell you. <laughs> oh, man. But... You know, That's now funny. that we've talked about all the different ways right. <laughs> that this, this world back on track, is back on track. messed up. Um, Ro, how about you tell us how exercise can actually help type 2 diabetes? Maybe that's something that we can, you know, add in and control. <laughs> For sure, yeah. And and in, uh, this, is, this is part of the question you asked too, right? Like, 
yeah, you have a bigger body, but like if you were exercising, fuck yes, because everything I talked about was like insulin dependent, right? These are things that insulin does, but glucose uptake has an insulin independent pathway and that's through exercise. So a lot of the research that's been coming out uh, is based on like HIT, so high intensity interval training versus moderate intensity continuous training, which is just like your steady state, like cardio or whatever. And we know that with endurance, we have or endurance training, we have increases in like stroke volume, capillary density, mitochondrial biogenesis, like things that allow us to be better athletes, but also allow us to be better humans because we have bigger engines. And so we can have more gas, right? So we can eat more, we can enjoy life more, whatever. Um, and like, I'm going to talk about specifically like hit, but I want to preface it with like, if you were doing any sort of movement, you are getting these benefits. It's just maybe at a lesser rate than you would be at working at higher intensities. The practical thing about high intensity interval training is that it doesn't take a lot of time, right? If I'm at a high intensity for, you know, 20 minutes on and off, awesome. That's for someone that only has half an hour maybe. But if you're like, you know what, working at high intensities fucking sucks, especially if you're like some people for whatever reason, right, are not mentally built for it or haven't gotten there yet, I would never say like, oh, you haven't started, this is your first time exercising, cool, let's get you on high intensity interval training. Yeah, it may help with type 2 diabetes and like glucose uptake and stuff, but also you are going to feel like you're going to die and then you're never going to come back, right? So specifically, we talked about like in a fed state, you have insulin, which leads to glucose uptake and it was really AKT acting on TBC1D1. But when we exercise at high intensities, we have an increase in ATP utilization. So we all know that like ATP is our energy currency. And we have enough of a use of that. We have an increase in our AMP to ATP ratio, which is essentially saying, you know what, I've broken down more ATP than I have. And so that is going to activate the AMP kinase that is going to act on AKT, but instead of acting on TBC1D1, it's going to act on TBC1D4. And so this is our insulin independent pathway because now the actual contractions or the energy spent is going to increase glucose uptake. And then also, as we're doing work, we do have calcium being built up. So calcium is responsible for uh, the actual contractions that happen. Won't get into that. That's a whole other podcast episode. But essentially, calcium increases TBC1D4 again, and it's going to increase glucose uptake. So not only from expending energy are we increasing glucose uptake, but from the actual contraction of muscle. So of course, if you're doing that at a higher intensity, you're going to have more contractions, right? Oops, sorry, just slapped the shit out of my mic. Uh, you're going to have like more muscle that's working and that means more calcium and that means more sugars being pulled in but the important thing again is even if you do it at a lower intensity and you do it for a longer period of time then that is also going to increase glute 4 so a part of the reason why that walking 10 minutes uh after you eat got so big over the past two years has been like yeah because once you eat we have an increase in insulin for sure but as we're walking, 
those contractions are going to help to pull that that sugar into our muscles. So now we're not going to have as high of a level of blood sugar after we eat, which is natural. But of course, if you have issues with insulin resistance or aren't as healthy, maybe you're pre-diabetic, right? This is going to help you keep within a certain range because you're literally just moving. And so it's like, that is why something as simple as 10,000 steps a day or like walking more than you normally do is so important because every move we take allows for more contractions, allows for more sugar to be pulled in, allows for our ability to fight off things like type 2 diabetes and a whole other host of things, but specific to this podcast, right? Um, And all of that, like the endurance training is also going to lead to stimulation of PGC1-alpha, which we've talked about before, but essentially we're going to have more mitochondria. We're going to have bigger mitochondria. We're going to have more efficient mitochondria and we're going to have more pathways, right? We're going to have more angiogenesis, more blood vessels. So we're going to be able to pull more sugars in. We're going to be able to uh, oxidize fats a lot more just from doing our cardio or exercising. So long-term, we're going to also have uh, more GLUT4 and like I said, that uh, increase in mitochondria. So exercise is like the pill we've all been looking for, right? Which is what we say about a lot of other things, but so, so simple to just walk 10, 20 minutes after we eat. And over time, the amount of like benefits you'll get from that are, you can't beat it with like anything else. And then the more you train, the more adaptations come, the more sugar your body's able to handle, the less type 2 diabetes you get. And if you have type 2 diabetes already, right, then like I said, we have an insulin independent pathway. So even though your insulin is not working, you are insulin resistant, exercising keeps all those pathways awake and fresh. So even when you, even though you have like a reduced insulin response, the exercise helps to kind of put you back into closer to normal ranges. So then you start to lose weight too. That helps that. And then I don't think you can like cure type 2 diabetes. I don't know. That's that's outside of the scope of my knowledge and my practice. But I mean, just build some muscle mass, bro. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's essentially what you do, right? Like, uh, but like that's, that's what happens. It's like the more you exercise, the less you are dependent on the insulin dependent pathway and the more you are like focusing on, I'm going to keep myself revved up so that I can continue to keep being healthy and living. And if you lift weights, the more muscle you have, the more sugar you get to hold in. So um, yeah, I mean, that's why I love exercise, obviously for the lifting and shit and PRs, but like more muscle mass is almost always a good thing. Like, Mm -hmm. especially in this context. Ro, does it say like you have a really good lift or workout or whatever it is. And then like one to two hours later, that's when you eat lunch or dinner. Does it matter at that point? If you like, would you need to go for that 10 minute walk again after that meal or because you worked out before is it still kind of having like the same impact? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think if you work right away, right, if you walk or lift right away, then that's going to pull and you're going to see an immediate benefit. But like the the hyper sensitization of those pathways are increased for like 24 to 72 hours, depending on 
how hard you exercise, the person. So maybe for for someone that has type 2 diabetes, working out more times a week than just two or three times is beneficial Mm -hmm. because then you keep yourself like primed. You know, it's not just like you work out once, it goes back to base level, and then three days later, it's back up. Like if you're working out every other day, um, then yeah, it doesn't really like matter as much. I'm sure there's research out there that like talks about how one may be more beneficial, but in my opinion, as long as you are like exercising, you're going to have those benefits. And the more frequently you do it, you're going to be able to combat type 2 diabetes because of stimulation of these pathways that we talked about. Cool. Well, this was a really awesome conversation per usual with all of your knowledge. And I'm yes. glad that all of this studying is being put to good use. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a reason for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we all really love to see people learn more about something, especially like exercise and start exploring ways on how you can begin to like incorporate that into your life and actually enjoy it. With every single one of us, what we do and how we coach, we want you to enjoy and love what you do. And we want you to feel supported and um, excited about like the healthy habits that you're cultivating. But exercise is definitely one of those things that it's it's really great. It's amazing. And there's so many different ways that you can engage in it. And especially just with like the three of us, I, I, I guarantee like this week alone, we've all done very different workouts and they've probably all been really beneficial and had a (laughs) positive impact on our lives (laughs) for sure for sure yeah but it's really good to see you both i I missed not being on the podcast last week oh that's right yeah (laughs) i know i was listening to it this morning a little bit and everyone was like when ro was (laughs) brooke was like you're gonna have to like you know make up for nicole not being here ro was like oh my god i'm gonna have to like dive into my nice side <laughs> i think i was i was nice to natalie yeah she was great she was great definitely check yes, out that episode Natalie's the best so cute well i'm gonna i'm gonna outro us out is that how you say that i feel like it is to put way too many words in that anyways we are all currently oh, accepting clients ro as you can see is the master of all things science or pff, science and exercise <laughs> and performance um i am an intuitive eating and health at every size dietitian and then brooke is a dietitian specializing in combining sports nutrition and functional nutrition with lab testing um through and that shapes the client's journey in a really really special and unique way you can follow us at health unfiltered pod on instagram and definitely send us any questions that you have in the weeks to come we would love to answer them on the next podcast and hopefully eventually we're going to get a good q a episode going but please rate us share us and leave a review whenever wherever you get your podcasts and we will see you next time brooke if you want to do the honors yes <laughs> cue that music bye oh, everybody man, peace out, everyone. <laughs>